Well, how are you, Aidy? I'm doing very well, love. How are you? I'm extremely well. It's Royal Welsh Week. And, I knew yeah. you'd be happy, and I wanted to ask you about the Royal Welsh and how. Yeah, very. Uh, it's. I wonder if any other human institution creates more happiness. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, year on year, hundreds of people just having a nice time. It's yeah. so great. But um, anyway, enough of enough of that. How are you? Doing really well. No, this is, I'm actually going to come back to the thing that you've um, said to me enough of that about because we went to the Kent County show yeah a couple of weekends ago and that's not on the scale of the Royal Welsh or anything like that and you know it's not of the standard but it was a a similar kind of just out of almost out of reality experience because there's just everything there isn't there you can go and you can get an ice cream you can buy a sheep you can buy a tractor you can buy a hot tub you can buy a handbag yes whatever it is that you kind of want is available and then the um you know, just the sheer range of things you can see is we stopped by the young farmers display. Right. And and, and they were just so like they're all in their smart white coats and leading their cows around. And I was really struck by the sheer balls of the human race to think that we can just lead a cow round by its nose and that that's going to be fine. There, there was during during my attempt to not go to the show yesterday, which lasted to 4 p.m. when I jumped in the car and went anyway. Which sure. <laughs> um I was watching the live coverage i mean this is an absolute delight and it makes me so proud to be welsh so there are four days of coverage from 9am uh, wow. onwards on on tv wow. so i was watching and you can and, and not only is there coverage you can dip into what ring you want to follow so if you want to follow the cattle ring you can dip into that whatever but I, exactly what you said there was um in the um in the in the beef section, uh, in the Highland Highland ca- Highland cows, there was uh, an amazing um, Highland bull. He was yeah. huge, and he had horns. He had horns as half as long as I am tall. Right, right. And they looked to me like they were pretty well razor sharp. And yeah, probably. He was being um, trotted around the ring by size six girl of with a little uh, chain. Just 13, the... years, 13 years old, and she had a long pole that she used to tickle his tummy occasionally. Yeah. And he seemed to quite like that. And, and yeah. so uh, occasionally he stopped to bellow in a kind of something, like something out of a Greek myth. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I just... But we, we did see we did see one naughty cow that had to have a chaperone. It had to have someone behind it as well as the person leading it. So I, I've, probably, to... I've probably told you this, a friend of mine, young friend of mine, when she was very young, her first ever young handlers, um, for some reason, the pony that she was trotting around the ring quite happily got spooked and reared. And because she was very little, she ended yeah. up in the air. Oh my goodness! And she landed perfectly fine, and um, uh, she she won in the end. She won the class, but the judge gave a little notice to say, uh, she said, even if you think your pony is a quote malicious fucker, do not shout you malicious fucker <laughs> while you're actually competing. <laughs> Even if that is Sounds the brilliant. accurate description. And I love the fact that and this is why, you know, I like horsey people, but this is th- that she could, A, 
nearly be killed. B, yes. gather a feet and just shout, you malicious fucker. And, and, and it just... Yeah, and it I, makes me laugh because, of course, that's a pony. Because so I have a theory, right? Having been around horses now for, I mean, getting on for thirty years, which doesn't bear thinking about. What I've learned is that there is a certain amount of horse personality which is standard. Yeah, and the smaller the thing is, the more concentrated that gets. Right. Yes. I, I can so the that. bigger the horse is, generally, the easier it's going to be to deal with. Yeah. The things that we put our children on to teach them to ride are distilled evil. Yes, I think that really often is the truth. That yeah, it is true. I, I was it listening to listening to a woman um, advocating for Shetlands yesterday, and she was not making a very good job because the interview was saying basically they're equine psychopaths. You know that we know that, and we she all was know going, that. Oh no, they're lovely. They're a lovely first pony for children who want to discuss. No, they're not. We've all watched them elbow drop a child. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. We've all watched it. It's happened to a lot of us. Yeah. You yeah. know, then there's a reason that the Shetland Grand National is such an attraction. It's not just because the ponies are cute. It's because we want to see blood. <laughs> so it could be held in the Coliseum. Who's going to die? Yeah, it is It is the Coliseum, really, isn't it? It, yes. it is the Coliseum. But no, I'm doing well, thank you. I'm recovering from laser eye surgery. And did that go well? Moment. It went very well. I have ridiculously good vision. Brilliant. I went back the following day and got measured and it was whatever the next thing over 2020 is already at that point. Um, everything is, is super, super sharp. Although it's quite funny because I I realised how habitual it was for me to go for my glasses. You know, if yeah, we've been right. watching TV at night or something, I'll be like, oh God, I've got to get them. Just... Oh no, no, I can just see. Oh, and I'm so boring. I'm so boring because everywhere I go, I'm like, oh, I can see that. Oh, look, I can see those leaves. Like, what did you think would happen? See, I've got a bit of a theory about art. I've got, you know, I've got a rubbish theory about everything. But it just occurred to me at some point that before the later Middle Ages, when we didn't have um, glasses to correct eyesight difficulties, mm. and given that people's eyesight often gets worse as they get older, yeah, but... I would say this with an eye for my advanced age. Also, as you get older, you get wiser and you get more insight. Were great artists partly people who just could see really well physically, but had also developed insight? So out of their group, they might be the people who can actually see things really clearly so they could have some basis of reproducing them. God. That's a concept, isn't it? Because and, um, because you think about how representational art yeah. was, even sort of icons or whatever. They're all they're all they're not they're not the kind of Tracy Emin bollocks that you get these days. They're all they're all to do with making something look like something. Well, or maybe was was Monet's whole thing that you couldn't see at all? Did yeah. he think that he was painting kind of still yes. life? <laughs> Oh no, that's a terrifying <laughs> thought. That's a isn't horrifying it? thought, isn't yeah. it? And he's kind of launched this entire movement that we study now. Maybe he was just blind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it just occurred. I, I, what it was was I saw a, a lino cut or something, a woodcut of somebody in sort of thirteen eighty trying on glasses, and it was all yeah. all looked very kind of hit and miss, and um, and I suddenly thought, jeepers, do we know how people? Um, how how people 
in general could see and also lots of the time it was dark around yeah them. so and i often think that about an icon an icon's trying to make the boat moat with all the gold on it. it's trying to make the most possible impact with the least possible available light that's a really good point so anyway i have thought my, about it before i think possibly that's my two penny worth and 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 you came through this you came through this with flying colors in terms of, of yeah, no, it was oh, honestly, it was it was such a quick and easy procedure. I mean, it cost about four grand. So I was, to be honest, a little disappointed with how long I was actually in the chair, which was a sum total of about three minutes. Right. And I actually can't shoot lasers back out of my eyes, which I think is a bit of a con. Yeah, that's what you were because hoping for. For four grand, I think I should be able to. Yeah. At yeah. least do that or, or change the colour or something. I don't know. Um, but no, I mean, I, I can't, I can't say it was, you know, the, the nicest three minutes I've ever had, but it's certainly not the worst. And I, I, I'm now turning into a plug for Optical Express, aren't I? Yeah. Um, but to be honest, they do friends and family referrals. So if you do want 500 <laughs> quid off, then just email me in the air at gmail.com. No, I'm, and I'll got, refer you. I've got this wonderful thing that I used to be slightly short sighted. Right. And as I grew older, I became slightly long sighted. So I don't have good eyesight but my defects are in balance. Oh, perfect. So that which was making it the me short-sighted is now counteracted by that which is making me long-sighted. So, so are you driving legal or is there just a swathe of dead cyclists in Wales that you no, haven't no, seen? No, I had, I had an eye test um, as part of my MOT uh, last year and um, the doctor said, do you know what, you've got good eyesight as well. She was getting quite cross with me. She was getting right, quite yeah. cross with me at this point. I, 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 you know, I'm touching wood as I speak, but but there's sometimes when you go in for a checkup and they look for stuff and they can't find anything where you think I'm. And I felt like saying I'm not trying to. Um, I'm not trying to say that your whole uh, profession is useless. I think you guys are brilliant. It's just mm. I don't need you. At the moment. Well, I just don't need you. Yeah, which I'm yeah. probably not used to particularly. Yeah. But uh, anyway, so and and you and you, it didn't take you long to get back on your feet again, so to speak. It did. It took hardly any time at all. So the only thing that did happen to me was, um, I think, because of the anaesthetic, my eyelids went very, very heavy for a couple right. of hours, and right. it was quite difficult to keep them open. Right. Um, wasn't really painful at any point, but yeah. So on the way home, I, you know, I, I could open the eyes if I did a kind of bodybuilders. And made a big right. effort to, but they wanted to be shut. So I came home and had a nap. And when I woke up, I was back. Your description of the heavy eyelids makes me assume that you were kind of uh, uh, had some sort of Greta Garbo type look. For, for, for it was hilarious. So, yeah, no, so completely shut like this. So, yeah, I was a bit vulnerable, I suppose, for the first while. I had to be like helped to the toilet and then helped <laughs> to the sink and that kind of thing. So it was all. Um, that that was all quite amusing, but no, it's it's been very very easy. Um, just I drop three times a day, and and now I can see stuff. So brilliant, yeah, it has been brilliant. Oh, um, before we get into, are we still talking about distraction? By the way, we could well be talking about distraction because I've got a quote from it's not a quote; it's what I remember from Carlo Rovelli's book about distraction. But before we get on to whatever it is that you want to talk about, because I'm going to hand this over to you because I, I hijacked it last time, didn't I? Um, very interesting. It was very interesting. 
the jury on the Lucy Letby trial still have not reached a verdict. They are still right. deliberating, which That's to me says that they had as many problems with the evidence as I did. That's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Haven't yeah. come back with anything, which if they were going to do a burn the witch, I think we'd have heard about it pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah, except that, except that you have got to get a majority of 10. Yes. Which theoretically means that if there are three doubters, you're still discussing. Yes. Um, yeah. Interesting. So we'll, see, Very, we'll have which to wait we'll... and see what comes out of all that. Once yeah, watch, they, um... watch this. But the Daily Mail podcasts that, that covered it have been doing little um, episodes about just the, the justice system in general and how the public can get access to that information and find out what's happening in court mm. so I, I do still recommend that for everybody even if you just if you don't want the gory details just listen to those episodes to find out how you can you know become more informed about what goes on in the legal systems very very interesting have you seen this this does follow on from this have you seen the drama the sixth commandment yet no tv drama very highly recommended um i have one small doubt but that's that's just me i always have one small doubt it's it's basically a drama where um the the heroes if you like the main characters are the victims and it's it's a very interesting slant because it makes oh, wow. you care. it makes you care so much about what happens to them but at the yes. end um spoiler alert but it's a true story so it's not really a spoiler alert right. um, um what happens is 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 the, the villain is caught and um he's caught by a combination of a a, a family member who won't give up and right. really, really good old-fashioned policing and putting everything together and um also because as a massive narcissist he couldn't help journaling Sure. Which, which actually, I, I, I've, I've heard this a couple of times lately now. Um, this business about googling the crime that you've committed, or googling something which tells you how to do the crime you're about to commit. You know, guys, criminals out there, here's, here's a public service announcement. Yeah, don't Google dismembering before you're going to do a dismembering because it's on your hard drive. They'll find it comes it. up for a lot of them. So, so here's a piece of true crime trivia for you, Casey Anthony. Yeah. Who was not convicted of the murder of her child. Right. They found her not guilty. And part of that, there, there are a few reasons why the case wasn't great. Part of that was because on her internet explorer history, yeah. there was nothing about how to murder a child. Ah. But if they'd looked at her Mozilla Firefox history, um, they would have found search history about how to kill a kid with chloroform. Ah. Oh, very good. And she's free and a minor celebrity today. Child murderer, yeah. Casey Anthony. Yay! Yeah. Well, that's it. But anyway, at the end of the Sixth Commandment, what was quite interesting was they did talk a lot. Um, they showed um, they showed basically how long it can take a jury to come to any conclusion and how the conclusion may itself be right. um, a mixed bag. So um, it was. It's. 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 Oh, it, it's also worth watching. Timothy Spall absolutely um, at his 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 greatest. It, it was a good, very good piece of telly. But I, it, it slightly wrecked my life because a week ago I came back from somewhere um, and I said I'll just watch one episode. Oh, uh, and then six hours later or something. Yeah, three hours moved. Yeah, yeah, and I go to bed and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, not no good at all. But, what am I, yeah, yeah. What am I doing? Um, but yet, I tell you what I wanted to talk to you about. 
is is uh, two things. One thing is about distraction, and do we categorize distraction wrongly? Because um, in my capacity as a creative writer, right, um, I've just been talking to uh, my editor about getting a proposal ready for a new book. Lovely. Um, and so this means I'm now thinking about themes uh, uh, in my new book to, to, to cover. And for me, I want to be distracted. I want to be looking for some information about chicken farms and come up with something about Pornhub instead. Yeah. Got it. Right. Because the distractions will. The distractions I mean, you could do something with a big black cock in that case, couldn't you? Yeah. You certainly, you certainly could. <laughs> you certainly could. Um, but um, I just wondered whether we, um, whether in fact, sort of serendipity of when we come across things, um, can be hugely enjoyable and satisfying, and whether we, whether we 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 categorise distraction too harsh a way. So yes. here I am speaking up for. Uh, the creative aspects of distraction. Does that yeah, I, and if preaching to the converted, right. but it's going to be an interesting message for people to hear. So Carlo Rovelli in his book, Seven Brief Lessons on Physics, which you should all go and read mm. uh, because it's very short and it's very accessible. I read the entire thing on the flight from Heathrow to Vienna. Right. So it's okay, but you'll understand the universe for a week and you'll feel a great deal better about a lot of things. And his intro to the book is talking about the span of unoccupied time that he had, but also the spans of unoccupied time that other great physicists have had, Einstein right. being one. And he actually poses the idea that it's impossible to have a good idea if the mind is constantly occupied. And right. he posits that for any genius to emerge, any really original idea, any kind of intellectual breakthrough, there must be a period where you're not pursuing anything with ambition where things are just allowed yes. to sit and settle mm. and I can get with that and I think that that does link in it's not exactly the same as distraction no. but it links in with distraction because I think that we have this view and this is like the hustle culture a little yeah. bit right where you always have to be striving for something doing something that there always has to be some kind of value that you're delivering yes. in every moment but I just mm. don't think that that can be true no, I, I mean, I. apart from anything else, when you receive an input of any kind, which brings me back to something else I want to talk to you about, is it, it's about how people tell stories, but you receive an input of any kind, and then if you simply go out and seek another input, you haven't had time to process the first one. Right. And I think we, we can rush to things in a very um what's the word in a very unconsidered way mm -hmm. um and maybe for example going on my sort of idea of you jump from one idea to an almost like a frog on a lily pad yeah you might if you if you if you, your frog jumping is too quick you might never make the big leaps because yes you're always doing a small leap onto the next the next lily pad you don't 
take a deep breath, gird your froggy legs and leap to the biggest pad, which is a I, long way away. I think you're right. I think that what you're describing, though, can take... So a, a few things now come to mind. It, let's pretend that resources aren't a problem. Hmm. I, I think that it can just take quite a lot of courage. Yeah. For, for fear of being seen to be unproductive or yes. a kind of, you know, I think there can be a kind of fear of missing out around things. You know, if, if, yes. if people are out there doing stuff, ideas are firing and then it's, it's, it's easy to put pressure on yourself to come up with something quickly rather than going, actually, no, I'm going to wade into the quiet of the stream mm. and just allow something to come to me. But then I think also that can be a resource challenge, can't it? Because yeah. I've had times in my life where I haven't been able to be creative at all because I've had to have three jobs. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's this, that's this, my, you know, I hate Virginia Woolf with it. Honestly, there are a few people, but if she came in this room now, I think I'd slap her. Really? Oh, that bad? Yes. Oh, do tell me why. Do tell me why. Well, simply because of the resource thing. I think if I was a middle class woman. Yeah. um, I mean, it's worth saying that she and her sister walked into a room once when they were 20 or whatever and they said never forget that we are the best people in the best society in the best country in the in the greatest empire the world has ever known right and you think to yourself get over yourself oh my skin is crawling i know i know and so horrible and so so she said and and you see the reason why i personally dislike virginia wolf not just because I think her novels are vapid nonsense, but um, because... I, I mean, that's probably, enough, though. <laughs> but there are plenty of other people who write novels of vapid nonsense that I don't... There's so much vapid nonsense out there. There is. But what she said was that in order to write, a woman needs a room of her own, right? And what she means by that is she mean, needs at least a four-bedroomed house and a servant, yeah? So what she's saying is only people like her and her companions are able to write. Well, again, and, with that kind of short-sightedness, I think she's saying what she needs. Well, yeah, but but my point is, because it was considered to be such a seminal text, it's like, it's like uh, what's his name, Connolly saying, um, the enemy of promise is a pram in the hall. Yeah? Mm. So, so um, and I love the fact that he was saying that the enemy of promise is the, fa- uh, is the, the um, pram in the hall about the time that um, Evelyn Moore's wife was uh, wife was having her 11th child or whatever it was. Right. And, and, and unfortunately, we don't read Connolly anymore. We do read war. But, but what I don't like is people who make these sort of comments about what a creative life requires. Whereas what you've just said about times when you couldn't be creative because you had... Um, you know, economic pressure, yeah, yeah. and um, potentially uh, also we all have responsibilities and things that we have to do. And the thought that the only way you could be creative is by sitting in this bloody room of one's own with a cup of china tea and just one niece biscuit. Oh, don't bring me two, right? You can just <laughs> imagine her. You can just yeah. imagine, and you can imagine, you can imagine the, um, the 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 maid that has to bring her this biscuit, uh, you know, while she's being so sensitive to the to the resonations of the universe. So I'm actually speaking against myself here because Virginia Woolf had lots of time to think, yeah, and came up with to the pigging lighthouse, new 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 official name, 
Well, no, um, Leo, I think just because a person has time to think doesn't mean they're going to come up with something of genius. Of course, Ravelli says that, but Ravelli is, is a stunningly intelligent yeah. man. And so is yeah. Einstein. So, it, it, you know, it's... um. I, I guess there has to be some raw materials there and, and yeah. then if time is given that mind can come up with something as well yes. um so yeah and I guess uh Virginia well I, I don't really have much of an opinion about her writing to be honest I think I I feel it's just sort of her is kind of fine well you see I but I kind of think I this is this is this is um I get very tired of people who say they're in, they're in pursuit of the beautiful because um, it often seems to be an excuse for bourgeois junketing of various kinds. And so, you know, um, rather than... Uh, I, 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 I realise there's a tendency that I could turn into Pol Pot on a Tuesday afternoon here, but but uh, which wouldn't be a, a pleasant for anybody. But... but if you say things like, well, I have to be surrounded by beautiful things because I'm one of those people who's sensitive to beauty, that's, oh, the, that's the same as saying, and it is really worth remembering that Virginia Woolf hated the masses. She absolutely hated the masses. And, and um, she didn't want, them, for example, them to be able to go to the seaside because it was spoiling the oh, unspoiled coastline. But She sounds people, like a real peach. She, yeah, exactly. But... Because she had this heightened heightened view of, of what being an intellectual was, um, I think people are slightly uh, afraid to criticise her for the case of social saying, oh, well, that woman that writes novels set at the Royal Welsh Show, because she's not an intellectual, she doesn't even understand Virginia Woolf. And, I, and, and so I'm prepared to put my head above the parapet, but, but just thinking I'm sensitive to beauty, darlings, yeah, um, it's not enough, but that's a kind of that's just a kind of narcissism, isn't it? Yeah. In a way, and oh, I'm yes. sensitive beauty, I'm somehow superior, and and I've experienced this before with people who claim to be perfectionists. Oh, oh, yes. When I think that actually you should probably just say that you're an awkward bastard as opposed to trying to cover it up with perfectionism. Yes. And and I had this with um with someone that I was writing with some time ago. Don't anymore. And we get into. A disagreement about what should happen with a plot point or something and it would come up oh I'm just a perfectionist and I thought well twice yesterday you misspelt there <laughs> so it's funny how your perfectionism comes out when it suits you yeah and not just really. as consistently across the board so I, I think that anyone who does claim to be a perfectionist if you're going to claim it you need to make sure you really are striving for that because otherwise you, you can look a real twat also, in terms of creativity, the problem with that is there is probably, um, and I've just got beside me the um, the program for my local show to see what I can uh, enter in the baking competitions um, for the annual ritual humiliation nice. of coming eleventh in a class of eleven for the flapjacks or whatever. Anyway, um, I think you probably could say that there is an objective standard for a Victoria sponge. And if yeah. you're a perfectionist, as you make your Victoria sponge, I mean, I would say classic Victoria sponge perfectionist, possibly OCD, is if you weigh the eggs rather than saying an egg weighs roughly two ounces. Right? An egg is an egg. Yeah. An egg, but, but anyway, but anyway, I think it is possible to say I, I can define um, uh, a standard of perfection 
So striving for perfection in the Victoria Sponge, that works. Striving for perfection in a creative project where lots of policy possibilities are equally valid. Yes. That looks a bit more like a bit of a disagreement rather than... than I, th I think you can still say that about your Victoria Sponge, to be honest, because who sets a standard... Who's qualified to say what a perfect Victoria sponge is? Because you'll judge. always find someone that's like, well, actually, I think more cream, less jam is best. Yes. And then you'll find someone that goes, actually, I'm more of a jam and less of a cream. And someone yeah. else is going to want a thicker bit of sponge and someone likes it slightly denser. And then should there be icing? Uh, yeah. It's true. It's, true enough. Yeah. True enough. You're right. But even more so, though, in a, in, in a sense of a creative project, when... Yes. Other developments. You're talking about two two plot developments, maybe three or four plot developments, all of which are possible. Yeah, and um, those might be um, those might be uh, all equally valid. Mm -hmm. And so the perfectionist can't say I'm backing plot point B rather than A, C, and D because there's no objective standard oh yeah it, to be honest that situation was more about someone just wanting their own way mm. than anything else but it did i have noticed this as well a bit of people kind of calling themselves perfectionists about one thing whilst also having a stunning lack of self-awareness now then now then tends to go a, together a modern subset of this and i am not in any way belittling what is a crippling mental illness but I know so many people who say, I'm a bit OCD about this, mm. right? By which they don't mean they have rituals and they have to check a hundred things before leaving the house and all the things that people properly have OCD suffer from. Mm -hmm. You know, classic mm -hmm. is washing your hands to the point that you're, you're bleeding. Yeah. Um, but I'm a bit OCD on this one means I want you to finish your email with best wishes. Yeah, fine. So that's actually controlling. Exactly. So, so fine, tell me that you want me to finish the email with best wishes. And I'm happy to accept that. If that's if I'm working for you or whatever, or that's a house style, I'm happy to take it. But don't say I'm a bit OCD about this because um, that's... Is, is, then, is that the pressure on you then not to challenge, do you think? If people yeah, go absolutely, that, that absolutely to challenge. Right. It, it shuts down. It shuts down challenge. And so I would say, well, I would always end, end with yours faithfully. And, uh, you know, uh, but it shuts down challenge because it yeah. says, um, and of course, what is hugely interesting, if that's, if let's assume this is a work scenario where the boss says, um, I always like to end emails with best wishes um and i'm a bit ocd about it what they're saying is if if you challenge me on this you are mocking my mental illness right so i am both the person who holds all the power and demands all the empathy as a victim so that's that's bullying via virtue signal isn't it yeah it, it, it's 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 a bit of the old i, I love the expression a cry bully yes so that's a bit yeah, yeah. and and um, with that so passive aggression essentially with that passive voice of oh because of this and then of course you've got you'd have to be a real git wouldn't you yeah to say well I say many thanks yeah 
exactly exactly yeah exactly so no I've, I've come across that as well and um so so the ocd self-diagnosis is one i think people don't appreciate that obsessive compulsive disorder it's not just about how straight you have your pencil case yeah in in regard to the edge of the desk or something mm. it is spirals of obsessive thought yeah it is like you say the rituals you know not being in control of your own behavior at yeah. times because you know someone in, in a, a rational state wouldn't wash their hands until they bleed or no. give themselves bleach burns for example and it really is debilitating so you know do, i mean do we have to we we spoke about this before do we have to pathologize every every behavior you're not a bit ocd you're fussy yeah, exactly, exactly. Or you're controlling, and, right? And you and, want someone to do what you want to do. And I hear the same thing with people in ADHD now. Hmm. The amount of adults self-diagnosing with ADHD, no real concept of what that means. Yeah. Oh, I struggle to get things done. What? Duh, you're alive. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, and oh, I, I lose track of time. Yeah, you're you're alive and you're busy. You're like that's just that's just a, a trait that you need to, you know, proper ADHD. Again, big deal. I I. I have a, a, a def- my mother had a friend called Bernadette and of course she had a friend called Bernadette and Naturally. this friend called Bernadette uh, stop me if I told you the story before especially if I told it on air who somehow inherited a number of properties in London quite worth a lot of money which she haven't told me this haven't told you so she started to do them up and she hit a massive amounts of snagging and it oh, was God. serious amounts of snagging on about eight properties and oh, what wow. she should have okay. done is do one, get one paying, oh. and get another one. And then move on to the next yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, but she didn't. So she ended up at the point where she owed so much money to builders that she was basically avoiding the bailiffs. Oh, God. And, my, you know, my mother was posting food through the door at, at night and, and, and things like this. Anyway, she decided that the best way to avoid the bailiffs would be uh, to have a catastrophic mental breakdown. So she climbed to the roof of this house in Chelsea and sat on the roof all night long reciting the Litany of the Blessed Virgin. And she expected, she fondly expected that the police would be called and she would be sectioned. And she just came down very damp and and uncomfortable through the skylight at 6am with a sore throat. So she did the equivalent of sticking the pencils up her nostrils and saying wibble and then having to go to the front lines anyway, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And... um, and she heard a knock on the door, which she thought might be the, uh, you know, the psychiatric emergency. Was it a bailiff? It was a bailiff. It was a bailiff. <laughs> and and my mother said, my mother said, one of the reasons why it's so hard to feign mental illness, Bernadette, she said, is because when you are mentally ill, you do things which are against your own self-interest. Yes. And anyone who has anything to do with people who are suffering from mental illness knows that those people who say I've just got a touch of this which will prevent me paying my builders yeah yeah are acting in their own interest rather than the opposite and I think that's yeah. a really I I think that that self-interest test the Bernadette on the roof all night saying a little Virgin Mary um I also liked that she obviously thought about what's definitely going to prove me to be mental yes exactly I'll pick that yeah <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> and and also in a built-up area as well um i think it's crucial it was in a built-up area but yeah could have gone streaking in a high bulk or something yeah exactly um 
but I think that I think that um, so in the intro in the the person who says, "Oh, I can't complete my tasks because I'm a bit ADHD." What they're saying is, "Don't punish me because I've been a bit chaotic." Yeah, um, mm-hmm. because it would be not in my best interest <laughs> if I got me. No, exactly. It's a a freedom from self critique. Yeah, is it? I'm going to cough one moment. And also then, uh, and, and this is the depressing part of it, because in a way, look, um, I, you know, anyone that, that plays the odd dodgy card at work, I mean, you know, I had a friend who said to me once, one of the very best things that you can ever, words, a word that you can use to get out of something um, is to say, I'm going for tests. Tests is a word that sounds so redolent of horror. And then you come back two days later, having been off on a jolly with some mates, and you come yeah. back and say, very good news. I've had um, I've had a really good result from my tests. And nobody can at this point say, hang on a minute, didn't you come up on social media? No, exactly. They're not going to say, oh, so you don't have horrible ass cancer then. It's just not going yeah, to happen. Exactly. You're going to skate by on that. And mm. I think, you know, it's funny because I, I have some double standards in my thinking with what I will accept from people because I'm kind of generally really quite fine with corporate theft. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not fine with theft on a person to person level, of course. So <laughs> in terms of like, if people want to lie to companies, I think that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that said something about me. That says something about me, but like, don't lie to your friends. Don't lie to your mom, but by all means, lie to your boss for a day off. Who cares? But, but, but then it did strike me that, that why, what, what, Although I laugh at that and I kind of I feel exactly the same as you. But then the one thing I say is the only caveat to that is. Does that mean that the people in your team, when you're on the beach in Worthing, when you said you'd gone for tests, Mm. does that mean that that you're the people who should be your colleagues and who are potentially um, if they're not friends, they're fellow strugglers against the things you're fighting against the man, they're fighting against the man. Yes. And is. And I would say there is that's the only thing that, that there's an element of lack of solidarity in saying I'm going to niche off by saying totally, totally. And the way that you get so you have to read the room very closely in working environments because one snake will ruin a really good thing. Yes, true. If you get a good team of people together, mm. and I'm not saying that this is what we do, mm. you can agree your time off in lieu schedule. Yes, yes. So yes. you just agree it between you. And yeah. then on that day, everyone knows that so-and-so is off sick. Yes. yes but yes. that does rely on having a solid bunch of folks. Yes. Because as soon as you've got one that's like, oh, yeah, we went really off, <laughs> trying to lick a boot or something to get further up the ladder, then, of course, it all falls apart. Yes. And I heard um, I heard a chap say once, who was mending my refrigerator, actually, and he said, I'm here because no, no person, it was, it was, this time of year, which is obviously why I wanted the fridge mended, and, um, he was complaining because um, he said, I haven't got any children. And I was thinking, okay, doubt you've got a partner. You are a very grumpy, horrid fridge mender. And um, he said, and because of that reason, I have to work double shifts when it's kids' sports days. No, you don't. And, and I, thought, I thought, well, if you think that your company who's allowing dads and mums to take time off to go do the sports i said do you think that's a bad thing and 
and I and he said, yeah, he did. He he thought they should all be working all the time and not have days off for sports day. I just also don't think it's true. No. I think someone probably said to him, do you want an extra shift? We've got people off. And he went, yeah, and then just found something to moan about because oh, absolutely. his default was to Absol- find something absolutely. to whinge about. It's not a it's not a stable and sustainable um business practice. But I also thought it was very sort of um sort of mean spirited. People have this view though. So I've come up against this with a, a friend of mine on Facebook, but a couple of times we've butted heads in the comment section. I quite like to have a little niggle in the comment section yeah. sometimes, especially if I see someone I know chatting obvious nonsense. Um because she's got this view that she is having to work more to right. make up for people that are on benefits. Right, right. And her line is, you know, some of us have to work more to pick up the slack. And I just checked to the point, that's not how it works. Mm. You know, you doing an extra five hours of overtime isn't going into Sally down the road's pension pot who can't no. be bothered. That's not, no. that's not it. You don't have to work any extra at all. No. I mean, you're taxed on your... your it, 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 Benefits, like all things, come out of um, taxed income. But, but um, you know, the the problem the problem with that argument is we almost all have to agree that we're all going to pay for everything, yeah. yeah. Because otherwise, um, you know, we can all start saying, well, there are parts of such and such a system. Let's say you're a pacifist. I don't want to pay for the for the armed forces. Well, actually, yeah. tough luck. Yeah, we've got armed forces and we're in a country that has armed forces, so you're going to have to pay for them, you know. Oh, pacifism, again, though, is such a great luxury. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It absolutely. really is. You, you know that you've achieved, you know, a society has achieved something in life if you can afford pacifists. Yeah, but actually thinking about the point about about sparking a point from the comments, I, I've got a friend on Facebook, and actually I do, I do know her IRL as well, right, right. a bit, but mainly on Facebook. And she was saying this morning, she was saying about how we should look after nature, which is, I'm beginning to, I'm beginning to hear the word nature and reach for my gun, which is not not good because uh, obviously nature is nice. I agree that nature is nice, and um, and she said think of all that we rely on for nature. Um, I mean, nature provides us with the food that we eat. And I actually had to comment. And I said, no, nature provides you with an afternoon foraging. You know, once yeah, farmers provide you with the farming food you provides you with the food that you eat. And I haven't I don't know that I, I, I may I may have sort of trampled on that. Uh, but there are sometimes you, you do sometimes see a comment and you think I'm going to I'm going to go off in the in the comments section. And I kind of know I shouldn't. But, oh no, I get the same when you sit there and, and have people telling you that um a plant-based diet uses less land than the meat farming. Yeah. Um and you know it, it's just a, a sign of the sheer lack of awareness of the scale of land that you need to grow that many cabbages. I I must admit there was a, I I couldn't resist there was a, there was a particularly uh, ridiculous piece of um there's a particularly ridiculous piece of, 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 of uh, uh, a study that produced that, that that proved that if we move if if we just eat less meat, not eat no meat, but if we just eat less meat, it could be the same as taking eighty million cars off cars off the roads in Britain. Perfect. There we go. Well, have we got? But have we got eighty million? I mean, this was have we got eighty million cars in Britain? And would eating less meat do this anyway? And what would we eat if? 
because it was all go post. It was um, the only two factors they took in was meat and cars. It didn't take in eating anything else instead of meat. Right. Okay. Right? And so lots of my sort of farming community friends had an absolute, um, you know, field day with that. And I I couldn't resist tweeting that um, it, scientific studies prove that not reading ridiculous scare stories about meat um, could take 100 million cars off the road in Montgomery. I love that. I love scientific that. studies prove. But um, but it is, I always think it's, it's science. It, it, we need to have some social etiquette, really, about social media, really, um, because I kind of think if you if you sound off on the public forum, you are inviting a response. You've put it out there. The head's above the parapet, then. Yeah, yeah, and and uh, and also, I think this very nice person who said this about nature providing us with all the foods. I know the echo chambers that she's in. Yes. And the one thing that you could say, and I, I, I know this, this sounds weird, again, with my Pol Pot hat on, all the friends in the echo chambers, if they turned their hands up like that, not a single one of them would show any manual work. Yes. And of course, exactly. they know exactly how food is produced, but their hands tell us a different story. Yeah. And yes, they rely... So on my friends needing new knees at 40 to keep them fed and then they insult them. And that's what, and that's what I find is. is yeah. The attitude towards farmers in this country has upset me on a, on a couple of occasions. Now, look, I'm sure that among the, the bigger, more kind of corporate farming entities yeah, yeah. you get, I'm, I'm sure that there are instances of malpractice around animals and cutting corners and mm. all the rest of it. I'm sure you can find it if you go yeah. look. But the people that I know that are farming on a small to medium scale are not guilty of that no. and do not deserve vitriol bashing and to generally be accused of wrecking the planet when actually without them, everyone's quite hungry. Yeah, yeah, ex exactly. And, and you know, I, 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 I think it's, um, oh, well, it's, it's, it's a bit of a hot topic for me. I see lots of my friends suffering from really tricky mental health issues right. and, and especially the younger ones to being told on a daily basis when they switch on social media that they're destroying the world yeah? yes you, you know you, you're 27 and your back hurts already yeah yes and you can't go away on holiday because you've got to milk yeah yeah when someone with a blue fringe decides to say that artificial insemination is you raping a cow then you have a row with your dad and you hang yourself. Right. That's, that's, you know, the person with the blue fringe is not unguilty in this. No. Because, because to describe anyone's way of life, unless they are, you know, an organised criminal, to, to describe... Oh, they are raping a cow for real. Don't do that. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's not good. Um, no. Uh, <laughs> I've got a very funny story, but it won't go for the podcast about... Uh, a, um, a, a, a a similar story, of course, because I live in the country. But but everyone I, now is screaming at their device for you to tell this. <laughs> you know what? A person listening to this that now doesn't you want know you what? to tell this story. I will. I can do it Come in on. a sensible way. So, a friend of mine driving past the abandoned chapel near his house, 
Um, this is, we're talking about 10, 15 years ago. Um, and he saw a car parked in the lay-by by the chapel. And when he drove back down the road, it was still there. And he thought, I wonder what this person is doing here. Mm -hmm. And um, he came out, came, came out the car, parked his hand over. Um, then he called, called a friend and said, I want you to park in front of this vehicle because I just want to know what this person is doing. Right. So um, friend A goes around the back of the chapel where they find a chap with his trousers open and some tissue in his hand right. looking, looking at the sheep. And um, friend A says, what are you doing? Oh, God. And the man, thinking quickly, says, um, I've just caught short and I've had a little bit of a poo. All right, says friend A, show me the poo. Oh, God. And then the man says, it's a fair cop. I was just relieving myself looking at these sheep. At this point, friend B arrives, and they are friend B's sheep. Now, if oh, you can God. imagine, behind this chapel, there are two fields, and if you faced in one direction, you were looking at one chap's sheep, and if you faced in the other direction, you were looking at the other chap's sheep. Right. Friend A says to friend B, this guy's been relieving himself looking at your sheep. And friend B says, that's a bit weird. And friend A says, yeah, also, I find it vaguely insulting. Because I also have got an attractive field of lambs here. And he says to this guy, he says, so he says, just tell me, we're not perverts. We don't know what turns a man on in the, sh in the sheep world. But what is it about bees, lambs, that you oh, find irresistible? Um, and anyway, they, they, they said to him, we think you need help. Yes. We've got your registration number. Um we're not going to tell the police, but we think you should go and get talk to somebody about this. And also, every time you hear people um, talking about Welshmen and they're interested in sheep, yeah, you stand up for us, guys, because you've driven over from Telford. But you know what? That was quick thinking all round. So there's, I mean, obviously there's one obvious thing that I don't like about the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there are a few things that I do like. One, that the guy stayed on his side of the fence and had the good grace just to sort himself out rather than trouble a sheep. Yes, yes. With what he wanted to yes, do. Yes, yes. But also the quick thinking on the, on the part of friends, but also the kind of community mindedness about that. Because yes. in some instances that that story could have ended with, and then they beat him to death. Yeah. But they yeah, didn't. No, no. They felt they felt it. I mean, you know, the chap told me the story and he said, I just felt sorry for him. Yeah. I was thinking, what must you have got to in your life when this is what you do? But they yeah. also couldn't help a little bit of cultural war at the end. Uh, yes. Don't forget, it is us who are always accused of fencing our sheep. And you've driven over the border, you've driven 50 miles to come and um, admire them. Admire them. And also, I, I do like the little bit of um, almost jealousy. Yeah. But I say, well, what's up with my sheep? Why are you looking at his sheep? Yeah, exactly. Well, that's a lovely sheep. Look at yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, what makes they, 
they, they, he says they never got an adequate description of why. No, I'm sure because I mean, bless him. I, I imagine the guy was like, I told him, I'll tell them I'll have a poo. That's disgusting. They're going to go away. <laughs> Leave me alone. Exactly. And then of course everything's just got so much worse for him from that point because they're like, okay, yeah. show me, and then he's like, oh god, because <laughs> there isn't a poo here. Yeah. And That's... that that is another great argument for always having a dog. True. True. Very true. But actually, going on from that comes up to the point, other point I wanted to um I wanted to say. It was something I met an old friend last night and had a, a, a very nice evening. And um I realized that one of the things I find most attractive, and I mean attractive in every way, about someone is how they tell a story. Yes. And I I don't know, apart from family, where I would draw the line between loving someone and liking their stories. Oh. I almost think it's the same thing. Would the test be how you feel about them when there aren't any stories to tell? Well, potentially, potentially. But if there's someone... So I don't know how this goes. Does it go you feel really friendly towards them and therefore you make everything they say everything's interesting because you like them yeah that or, is it, or is it because they tell things in such a way um it could be integrity it could be humor it could be a combination of various things that you just think oh that's amazing i absolutely love that yeah um in which case their stories bring them closer to you. Could one feed into the other? I think it might do. And that it could start with situation B, and then you go back to just thinking everything they say is is brilliant. Yes, yeah, but also that there are people who can tell you something that is. There are some people who could report on the 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 subject matter of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and they'd make it dull. Yes. And there are other people who, I mean, I know several people in this category who can say, say, well, how things? And then they'll start a sentence that goes, well, I went to Welshpool. And you think that in itself is not very inspiring. And then they'll, will have observed something or encountered someone or done something, yeah, um, that absolutely has you howling. Yes. Um, yeah so my granddad is one of these I always meant to record and I still might I mean he's alive um record him talking about the the things he used to get up to in in London when he was a, a teenager and then a young man um largely around the Brentford market we're from right. West London um, but the stories that he's got about fights that he was in but again it was that manner that he had of, of telling it that brought it so to life yeah that I could see these people mm. and he used to tell he told me a couple of times this story about a bar fight that they got into they've been off on some day out and they got and, and i can smell the bar yeah you yes. know i can see it i can see the chair go through the air yeah i can see my granddad's friend's moment that, that my granddad's friend's face the moment he stands up and my granddad hits him by accident instead <laughs> you know i can hear them laughing on the coat yeah. home yes. and the kind of banter that goes between them and i think that that does because you're right. I think the way someone tells stories can absolutely 
influence or, or feed into how you feel about them because when someone's telling a story you get a sense of who they really are right yes. because they're going to imbue that with their perspective on things yeah. their attitudes you can definitely get people who can really tell a story will generally have higher empathy yes because yes. they can get into the other people in the story and, and understand how they interacted and related to everybody mm. in that moment and then that of course brings it more to life yes you, you know because you get the humor and the influence and, and you know that the fact that maybe they've sensed that someone wasn't very happy with them about something and then and managed to turn that into another funny anecdote yeah. is, is all a sign of their emotional intelligence yes and yes. then of course if someone can do that in a funny way I mean humor will always be attractive that's just how it goes yes Yes. You know, um, if if you're worried about getting a partner, don't go down the bodybuilding or plastic surgery route. Just learn to be funny, honestly. <laughs> yeah. And you'll yes. do just fine. Yes. Yes, I think, <laughs> I think that. But but it's interesting, though, because what, what types of humour make you um, attracted to somebody? And I really admire witty one-liners snappy catch answers and jokes i love them yes but i much prefer no i love a story and and the story brings me emotionally close to the person who's telling the story in a way which a joke a re- even a well thought out really well timed and well delivered joke doesn't because no, the story is a bit of access into their life, isn't it? Yes, absolutely it is. It is. And if it's well told, it can become or feel like it is then a shared experience. Yes. Because you've been through it with them. Yes. In a way, and, and that on its own can also be very bonding. And when you find that someone tells you a story and you then I mean, I know this is this is so basic. This is this is like you know, this is one step up from a chimp in terms of communication. But yeah, they tell you a story, and then you tell them something very similar that happened to that to you mm-hmm. or someone that you know. All of a sudden, you're building up a past that becomes a shared past, even though it wasn't yes. a shared past. Yes. So I wonder whether whether part of the dynamic there is that I'm thinking of this in evolutionary terms, as I often do. Um, given that there are lots of cavemen out there and we are the cave women, yeah, and given obviously that we want the ones that have got the biggest spears in all senses of the word, mm-hmm. but we also have to make decisions about making a, a bond so that when we have got, you know, infants that we cannot hunt to look after, they will yeah. hunt after them. Do we, by doing that thing where you tell stories and then you say, God, oh, that's exactly what happened to me, or et cetera, et cetera, by doing that, do you effectively, retrospectively, put them into your childhood as if as if they were a member of your kin group? Or into your, do you see what I'm saying? That you, I, it, I do. I, I think it's kind of inviting them into your tribe. So, yeah, so in telling someone a story, they've let you in on their life and their experience yeah and then I guess there's that tit for tat thing of like okay you've told me that and I've received it well and therefore I'm gonna now make the same thing available to you yes because of course there is um, a bit of a leap of faith in telling someone a story for the first time or interacting with someone in that way for the first time because you invite yourself we make yourself open to judgment yeah 
because I've also in the process of someone telling me a story I've also really got the ick for people yes if they tell a story and they reveal some cruelty yeah or something they laughed at or something they did or that happened that makes you think oh that's not okay yeah I must also um take you away from someone as well yeah I must say that I find um stories which involve boasting about personal possessions or holidays actually this could have been the best story ever but if it starts with somebody explaining to me that they were in the first class lounge at Heathrow and etc I'm out of it already because and I suppose this is partly to do with what what interests you whether it's um whether it's things or whether it's people. Yes, I think so. I, I, or I guess what the relevance of that would be. Mm. Um, because, for example, so I got myself a lounge as part of my business travel. Yeah. Because I thought, well, I'm not paying for it, so stuff it. Yeah. I went to have my coffee and did a bit of people watching. So yeah. I think if someone says to me, so I was in the first class lounge and you wouldn't guess what I saw. Guy walked in with a penguin holding a, a katana sword. I'd be like, yeah. all right, yeah, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I think, yeah, it would it would depend on the the context of the story, wouldn't yes. it? What else was in there? And I I think as well, not just what you're being told, but why are you being told it? Yeah. What yeah. do I think that serves in the narrative? What point do I think you're trying to make? And if that is just someone sort of sounding off and trying to make it clear to you that they've got a bunch of money. Yes. Well, yeah, at that point, I really couldn't care less, to be honest. No. Well, in one of my conversations at the show yesterday, um, uh, Chap was saying that one of his neighbours writes car reviews. And so he gets to drive um, incredibly expensive cars. Yeah. Um, But in the company that this was, um, you know, uh, that, that, that this was, this story was told in, um, the, the chap said, well, and he said to me, he's expecting a Bentley 4x4. Everyone laughed at the idea of a Bentley 4x4. Hideous, I could imagine. Yeah, and um, they then then said, oh, yeah, remember he had that he had that Land Rover V8, didn't he? And actually he realised that taking it for a test drive would cost more than the fee for writing a piece. Oh, my God. Because it, <laughs> it covers yeah, so Fiverr just to turn it on or whatever. And... and and I thought to myself, yes, I, I feel comfortable with these people because they're not saying, "Oh, gosh, a four by four Bentley." Yeah, How impressive. Yeah. And, and they they were all, they were sort of laughing at the whole idea that there was a whole world where people produced incredibly expensive cars, and other people reviewed them, and then third parties went out and bought them, and they were just going, "It's a lot of money." why why do you think why do you think that people I was going to say we but I'm not one are drawn to the expensive and the exclusive like that particularly in a world where there's so much choice and it's it's perfectly possible to get around without having a Bentley 4x4 what do you think still makes that a draw for some people I I think it is status and I think in a way it's um I've got two books on the shelf here which are about exactly this. They're about the historical development of of, of 
um, of class, I suppose. So you've got Simon Sharma's The Embarrassment of Riches, which yeah. Dutch got rich before they got to be upper class. Right. So they just bought loads of stuff in a kind of right. mad way. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas uh, then I've got Canadine's Decline and Fall, a little bit of aristocracy here as well. And he makes a point very well in that book, which, you know, it's a bit of a truism, but for in Britain, class is not necessarily defined by the money that you have. It's no. by a set of values. But, but if you don't know what those values are, and you don't know how to, if you want to, if you want people to admire your status and you don't know how to act in a high status way, um, then you have to put up some flags that say yes. high status. And I imagine a four by four Bentley would be exactly one of those. Yeah. So do you think it's um so there's a kind of an advertisement there, but do you think it's also partly a defensive thing of saying I'm above you, don't come at me? Almost yes. like a rattlesnake's tail kind of. Yes, and I think there's also a third thing which certainly pertains around here. If you're all in roughly the similar similar industry, then you want it. Let's say you're all at roughly a similar status in roughly similar companies or organizations, and you're earning, you're likely to be earning roughly the same. It's yeah, unlikely yeah. to be a huge outlier. Yeah. But you would like the people who are on the same level as you to think that you are not on the same level as them. Yes. And so by having a very expensive car, you can um you can say um you can say I am different. Yeah. Um but of course the other thing, the other thing then is what is this? I mean, I, a friend of my mother's once asked her, this was a friend who's a very good businesswoman and had started to make quite serious money. And right. she thought that she would like to buy some art. And she thought that it might be a good investment. And she asked my mother, and my mother said, listen, buy what you like. Yeah. Because it will always be the best investment. There's no way of saying what will double in price in 10 years and what won't. No. Yeah. And um, I think that's the wrong reason to buy things, personally. Yeah. I, but she said, if my mother said, if you buy it because you love it, you have always made a profit. Yes. Because you've always lived with a beautiful thing, which is great. Um, if you buy something nasty, either you have to pay someone to store it for you, or you live with it and hate right. it. Or no one's going to buy it anyway. Or no one's going to buy it anyway. Yeah. But... I, I I think I think there is a strong element. But then having said that people buy things to defend themselves, they defend themselves often, I think, from a feeling that they don't belong to the right class. Mm. Um and I, I I've been writing a script. I wrote a script uh, last week for a glorious occasion, which unfortunately I'm going to miss because I'm booked doing something else this, well, weekend, this weekend, which is a mock wedding, right? And in order to have a mock wedding, you get everyone dressed up as if it were a wedding and you go to a wedding venue and you have meal and booze and everything, but you then 
you muck about with 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 the the, um, the conventions. So you have a comic bride, a comic groom, a comic vicar, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I was um, I was writing. I decided to write it as with a bit of a class conflict in. So it's a posh bride and and less and wealthy but less posh groom. Always always a good trope. And um, one of the lines was uh, the groom says in his speech, um, "Oh, they've made me feel very at home." Um, you know, they let me into the back kitchen. They've told me I'm not to go into the drawing room under any circumstances. Yeah. And that, that, when read out by a bunch of kids of 20, got a huge laugh. Yeah. So they, they were, even at their young age, they were very conscious of the idea that there are social rankings and people put yes. in the box they think you belong in. Yeah, and I think that's what people are defending themselves against, aren't they? They're them in a way. They defend. Well, here's the thought: we often talk about the objectification of women, but perhaps we are um, when we talk about people in terms of classes, we're objectifying them. We're treating them not yes. as an individual. We're treating them as somebody who's, you know, whatever they are. Who's 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 not going to have the kind of values that we want, or the in- actually, what we're probably saying is, I won't find this person interesting. In a really I think I think you're right, and I think we can probably talk a bit about the objectification of men in that way as well. Historically, hasn't mm. happened in exactly the same way, so no. it's not an obvious parallel. But if we say the way we'd object objectify a man might be um, Mercedes car, Rolex yeah. watch, capacity yeah. to have all this swish stuff. Mm. Um, which is a, a hell of a standard to have to try and live up to. Well, we've 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 created, haven't we? I mean, we've talked on this podcast before about hypergamy, haven't we? The tendency of women to marry up. Yeah. Yes. So, if you're lucky, you're the miller's daughter, and the king's son comes along. Mm. Yeah. And then that's fine, but that's a fairy tale. In reality, if he's got the flash car and the watch he's probably at least part of him is ruthless and what i think we've done that's particularly unkind to men and this is us as women we have not relinquished our desire for hypergamy yeah but we would like him to um take his rolex off and immediately be a lovely dad right uh, help with washing up so so we've we've created these two uh sets of values that attributes that we require in a good man mm. and um those at least some of those are going to be mutually incompatible they are and this comes back to your point about distraction a little bit i think because as you say i think we have created a, a structure wherein people are expected to be all things and this yeah. does apply across both yeah. genders as well yeah. so you know, say so for a man to yeah, to be expected to be um high earning and a provider but then also sensitive and family oriented yeah well if he's going to afford all that he's going to be in the office 85 hours a week so forget it yeah um but then for women to also be um super gorgeous to never age to be aesthetically perfect but then also be super wholesome yeah 
uh, and also family oriented and want to look after kids and be a good cook and keep an amazing house it's like those two things also actually probably don't go together on some level and I think this is where we come up with a great deal of dissatisfaction with ourselves and with other people because we we can't live up to our own expectations and no one else can live up to ours either well yes and this is this is again I'm you know I'm um I'm a great advocate for the place that I live and, and there are sociological reasons for that and one of them is um when I was in school there was a girl who spent two and a half hours putting her makeup on to go to school mm. she was in the year above me right and um she went to the pub once and she saw a burberry raincoat hanging in the in the door yeah and she said oh that's really interesting she said a burberry raincoat and um so she said to her friends who who who, you know who's who's the um who's the guy with the burberry raincoat and they said oh it's the bloke that's going out with mouth and she was like horrified Right. Right. And, and 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 she said to my sister, who's a friend of hers, she said, That's very odd. She's not your sister's not very well presented at all. Um and my sister said to be fair, she said, No, but she's really funny. Right. And um I then asked one of my male friends about the girl who didn't have much male attention. And this friend of mine who was a brutally cynical man and still is, yeah, said, I wouldn't want the keeping of it. Right. I wouldn't want the keeping of it for 24 hours on a date, let alone for the rest of my life. It look, mm. it looks like a situation which would cost me far more than I could ever get out of it. And I said, oh, that's very harsh. But she had to be quite narcissistic to present herself in this way. Yeah. And she assumed that the boys would think this was wonderful. The boys that she was aiming it at didn't find it particularly wonderful. They well, wanted some help with some stuff. That's, that's one of the interesting things, isn't it? I think because a lot of the preconceptions that we have about attractiveness actually come from the same sex as opposed to what the opposite sex wants. Y- yes, yes. For example, I have never, ever had a man say to me oh you've worn that dress before no yeah. or oh uh, what have you bought a new eyebrow pencil yeah or are you going to wear blush or contour tonight yeah. or highlighter all of that yeah. comes from other women yeah. yeah actually whereas I think you know the way that men scan you know it's it's I don't want to sound unkind like this because it's not it's actually a very great compliment but they just kind of scan she's alive not crying wicked mm. And then yes. move on because if a, if a man likes you, he likes you. Yes, absolutely. And that's it, right? Mm. So, um, yeah, I, I think that I think that somehow our, our own genders don't always help because I can also probably guarantee, and I, well, not guarantee, but I can theorize or hypothesize that a, a lot of the advice given in men's magazines, women would probably find utterly ridiculous. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, one of the things, one of the things that is supposed to be a part of the current hookup culture. Um, not that I've ever indulged in the current hookup culture, thank you very much. But um is is to do with you meet somebody, a girl at a bar, and if you want to gain her attention, you say something unpleasant and degrading. Oh, negging. Them. Negging, yeah. Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't make eye contact again with someone who I think that has largely been debunked now. Yeah. 
So that was all part of this kind of, yeah, this the art of hookup. And that came from largely from incel culture. Yeah. And there were the guys going around teaching like the art and how to get with it. And there's a certain type of insecure woman that that will work on. And that's a real shame because it's just a part a type of manipulation. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, incel culture is something that we can really get onto yes. at some point yes. because I find the whole thing, frankly, fascinating. But and a metaphor also for a lot of other things that happen in life, you know, so a group of people perpetuating their own misery via a horrendous attitude problem whilst being really angry at everybody else for it. Well, you see, this is this is this is why I, I don't listen to people who are universally negative about Jordan Peterson, because his attitude to incels is, would you go out with yourself if you were a woman? No, you wouldn't. Yeah, right. you need. What is happening, he says, is that women are reflecting to you the reality of your own situation. Absolutely. So if you want to be with a woman, make yourself worthy of being right. with a woman. Achieve something. Have some goals. Yeah. And honestly, it's just not that difficult, guys. It's just have a shower, be pleasant. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Don't be unemployed. Be clean. Don't be shitty. Yeah. You'll get also, late. You will. Uh, but also, and I know this is a con- controversial view, and not, not a view I would have held myself 10 years ago, by the way. Um, I think if you want to be a man who is available for a decent relationship, don't watch porn. Okay. And I tell you the reason why I think this is men want sex. And they can relieve themselves fairly easily if they've got porn. Mm-hmm. And men's desire for sex is such that they will make compromises and they will they will do what they need to do to seek out that woman. Yeah. Yeah. And before they had everybody in the world available to them at the touch of a, a keystroke, they would look at the girl two doors down who walks her dog, and they would think. Oh, I wouldn't mind having sex with her. I'd better be nice to her about her dog. And maybe, yeah. do you know, isn't she quite involved with uh, that thing to do with rebuilding the park? I tell you what, I'll do that. Right. Yeah. Right. And his aim in mind is his own sexual relief. Yeah. Right. right. But in order to do that, he has to engage us on a human level with the girl who goes walking the dog. Right. Right. And that base of desire channeled into something constructive has been how human beings have worked for a very, very long time. Right. And if you um, are watching porn for four hours a day, you're hardly likely to be engaging in the kind of things that will um, make you realistic about relationships. Yes. But also... Realistic... Yeah, but but also they won't, you will not have the frustration that you can channel into doing something you find less than perfect. So if she says, I want to go to the Barbie movie, yeah, and you are not in desperate need of sex because you have watched three hours of porn earlier that day, you might say, fuck it, I don't want to go and watch the Barbie movie with her, yeah. So you don't make a compromise. And if you don't make compromises, you don't get to know each other. And if you don't get to know each other, you don't build a relationship that ends up being 
ultimately the most satisfying for all of you. And yes. so I, I hope that doesn't sound too negative to men, but it's just if that part of your life is available at the flick of a switch, maybe your better sides don't get... Um, well, I, th I think that there are other implications to the, the porn thing as well. Now, now, look, don't get me wrong. On the face of it, I don't think there's anything wrong with porn. I think it has to be taken for what it is, which is a form of entertainment and not yeah. a reflection of reality. Yeah. Because yeah. the sex that you can watch in porn isn't what happens. No. And that's a fact. And I think if you're basing your expectation of what normal real life sex is going to be like on porn, you are going to be disappointed mm. because real bodies don't look like that. Mm. And, you know, the kind of acrobatics that you can see and the kind of things that are done to these people, you know, your average woman just isn't going to be happy with mm. uh, because that is you know, what you are seeing is uh, the thin end of the wedge. And it's also been shot and created to be entertaining. Yes. Not to be reflective of the real act. Yes. Itself. So I think if that's, you know, your first um, experience or exposure to sex and, and then porn can be very, very misleading. Mm. about what's going to happen what people like and also what people look like mm. you know there's there's a lot of body shaming that goes on particularly of, of women around you know what vaginas can look like because you know in in porn you don't get larger labia no. you don't get gray bits saggy bits all the all the very variety yeah. you get in real bodies you know because genitals in the real world are often not pretty great function but they don't look great so I, I think, yeah, it is important to contextualise porn for what it is. And also there, there, there can be problems for men in terms of sexual sexual function in the face of excessive masturbation. Yep. And there's this thing called death grip, where the penis right. is gripped very hard during masturbation. Then, of course, the female body can't replicate that. Right. And that becomes the level of pressure required. Oh, that's interesting. To get a result. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. then, of course, that result's not possible. Oh, that's, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. they, they know, they do know say that the number of men with erectile dysfunction um who are under 30 has gone up um they used to see very very few people um right. who were going to the doctor and they were only usually cancer treatment survivors right 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 and now it's something like 15 percent of men under 30 okay and that seems like a fairly bad thing mm. but but um yeah, but so yeah, no incels. Incels would probably be the subject for a bigger a bigger discussion. Maybe we we'll do it next time. Yes, I because think there's a lot do. there. It's very interesting. I think the psychological roots of it are fascinating, and as as much as they are the subject of contempt and pity in equal measure, they can also be incredibly dangerous people. So I think there's yeah, a lot to talk about. But also, um, it from it arises a very interesting point which gets a bit back to how we hear stories and and we make connections with people um one of the reasons why incels are important is 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 not because we don't all know one but it's just that they now have linked together and can talk to each other about the problems that they share so i'm now going to hypothesize but incels are the wildest shores of solidarity. Is it yeah. a good idea for people all suffering the same to get together? Or would it be better if um, Brian the incel actually uh, was talking to his friends at work about football? Yeah. 
would 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 Brian be more likely to have a happy outcome, even if he thinks they're all chads and they've all got girlfriends and you know he feels left out? Is there a sense in which any group which I suppose I suppose what I'm saying is I, I guess it depends on whether that group is intent on recovery. Yes. Or is intent on the, the spiral and kind of yes anding themselves into yes. more and more extreme situations. Yeah, and ex- exactly that. Is it a group for self-help or self-justification? Right. Yes. Right, yeah. right. Because do you, do you want to get out of it or do you want to wallow? Exactly. Because I, I listened to a couple of interviews with former incels. There are a couple of really good podcasts out there about incels, which I'll, I'll cover um, in the episode if that's what we get on and hmm. do. Uh, and the, the guy was very, very articulate. Uh, and he said, you know, I was really hardcore in the community. I was blackpilled, which is the most extreme level of it. Uh, I was, you know, all up into Elliot Rogers and was really kind of committed to that lifestyle. And then he said, well, then I kind of realized that I had a massive attitude problem. I just changed my attitude. And then I got a girlfriend. I realized I'm not that ugly. I was just horrible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And now I am not horrible and I get laid. And it's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Except, but, then, but then also porn, porn and just the general culture now that we have with um, celebrities being, I mean, not even looking like themselves with mm. filters, but also mm. cosmetic surgery, et cetera. I think sometimes the expectation, and this does have to be coupled with a sense of entitlement for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. But I think there's like, are these men, angry that they can't get with a woman or are they angry that they can't get with Shakira yes I think that's really what is is yes you know and the entitlement to some because they put us in tears don't they it's like a tier b tier c tier which terrify honestly as yes. soon as you're categorizing women just look in the mirror have a chat don't do yes. it but I've also for Ben as well like, yeah um yeah so I think I think that there is a frustration that actually you're just not having sex with an a-list movie star looking woman yeah but then, you know, I, and I think there is a type of narcissism that feeds into that as well, because, you know, if well, you're not a movie star looking man. So why would you expect? Yes. Well, it's interesting because a lot, I mean, we're in the danger of running into the conversation, the incel conversation here. But, but one of the things that strikes me about that sort of thing is the kind of yawning lack of self-knowledge. Yes. And. I wonder whether this is one of the things that has provided um, uh, provided some of the cultural, I suppose, the, the cultural sadnesses in a way that, that we have at the moment. So mm. what, I, what I'm saying is, if you have a society where lots and lots of people don't know who they really are, yeah, yeah then it becomes a very... Um, uh, 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 in one sense, a very free, but in also, but also a very destabilizing society. Mm. Um, and I, I've said to you before, there's this Welsh expression: you know, you, you, as soon as you meet somebody, you go, "Oh, I know who you've got," as in the sense that you possess your friendship group, you possess your family, you possess yes. the people that you know, and we're all looking for ways to link in. You know. Um, I had a, a woman um, ring up the other day and saying, oh, I'm doing your publicity for the Books Council. Um, and she and I said, oh, I'd like to host an event. And she said, oh, where would you like to hold it? And I said, well, actually, in Kevin Cork Inn. And she went, oh, Kevin Cork. 
my grandmother grew up there and all of a sudden we all know you know this is a woman I don't yeah. know and so there's this kind of obsessive um wanting to link yes I think that what we've done culturally um in Anglo-American society, I don't know enough about France or Italy to say if they're or Spain to say if they're the same, is we've we've put a premium on being able to reinvent yourself and change and be totally new and the different me. Whether that's by um changing our image or mixing with a new group of people online, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But that can have the effect of nobody actually knowing who the real you is, including yourself. Yes. Um, yes. And I think that comes back to, again, the point about distraction, because is that a symptom of people's personalities and references being provided to them? Yeah. By uh, what I call the passive medias. Yeah. It's just like consuming TikToks, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, as opposed to being created in a mosaic fashion by all those little things that make up a person. For yes. example, if you like reading so and such, and you also go and play hockey, and then you go and do this, I think yeah. that there's a tendency now for people's or a, a, an ability now for people's hobbies to be entirely passive. Yes, yes, and just delivered to them. Yes, and I think that 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 then. Um, creates a type of anxiety in a person where they're not sure where they can put their flag. Yes, and if you can't, if you don't know where you stand, you you are very easily manipulated. Yes, uh, I was listening to a a, a program about manipulation, and um, it, it, it was sort of podcast, I suppose. And um, although I don't agree with the political stance, um, because uh, they were talking a lot about. Um, uh, the way in which government manipulated people during COVID, and I think they were they were taking a very rigorous kind of almost it's all a hoax type view, which I don't share at all. But what they were talking about in terms of the way in which, if you're in passive receipt of stuff, it's very easy to um to accumulate to silt up with loads of messages and then the question is how do you sift through the silted up of all these messages unless you've got real life experiences to um so if so if somebody tells me for example let's let's say i was in the receipt of a lot of subliminal messages um on uh television programs telling me that the nhs is recovering and doing really well yeah and everyone I know is waiting for operations. Yeah. My real life trumps the messages that anyone is trying to spin me about anything. So if, right. if this was a pre-election thing for the Tories saying, the health service is fine, it's doing really well, I could hear a thousand of those messages and I'd think, well, when's George's shoulder going to get fixed? Right, right, right. And, so and you so, know that that's not the case. Yeah, and so you're right. The... And this gets back again to storytelling and the connections that that makes between us. Because if you're at hockey and you're talking to somebody who can't buy a house because the houses are too expensive, yeah, then somebody tells you, oh, the housing market here is fine on a mm. panorama programme, you're going to believe the girl at hockey rather than you believe the bloke on panorama. 
you are and, and and you're right about the people when people are in that situation they're then easy to manipulate and that comes back to incels because if you're in a position where you're not sure about what your composite parts are and you're not yeah. sure who you are as a as, as a whole person yeah and you're also aware that you don't have a girlfriend and the the women that you want to sleep with aren't interested in you yeah. and then someone pops up and goes oh that, that's not your fault mate it's women yeah yeah they yeah. just want chads. They're all like it. They're filth. They just should be destroyed. Just it's yeah. these girls. You're not the problem. It's women. You're probably going to latch onto that because that's a much more comforting message than you have got 18 months of self-discovery and pulling yourself up by the bootstraps and actually, yeah. you know, just getting your life together, which at times is going to be difficult, painful and uncomfortable. Yeah. And then you'll get the results you want after you yeah. put the work in. Or you could just blame someone else and sit back and... Play yeah. PlayStation some more. But it, it, I tell you what's very interesting about that in, 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 that, in that particular context is um, one of the things that I always think sh it shows a great disrespect for is, is, is when men say, oh, women are all dreadful, yeah, they are including their own mothers. Yeah. And I would argue that one of the – we've talked before about the way in which, you know, most modern feminism cuts out motherhood. But I think the whole concept of mothers are degraded in our culture. And I would say that the incel phenomenon is actually part of that because yeah. you can't believe that women are just a whole to service you if you have a good, respectful relationship with your own mother. Right. And um, you could have a situation where somebody may hear this, but if they actually go upstairs and their mother's made them a nice supper and they think oh all right but women are evil but this is a good pie exactly and, and the um i think the hypocrisies that we get in those kinds of trains of thought and that's both ways as well so so for example for, for your incel that those, those again i'm going to say it's a generalization those types of men the examples that i've seen is that the kinds of men that are out there saying that women are the cause of all problems are also very quick to throw in a hashtag, not all men. Yeah. When yeah. it turns up. Yeah. And, and also, and I think that goes the other way as well, because yeah. I've seen plenty of bashing of men online. Plenty. Mm. Whereas actually I've always had, yeah, obviously a couple of bad eggs, but very good experiences with men. I like men. Mm. Yeah. Um. And and yeah, it's it's very very dangerous to generalize an entire gender based on the experiences that you've had because, in some ways, as humans, we're all the same. Yeah. Basic needs. Yeah. Basic functions. Yes. But then we are all individuals as well. I know that sounds cliche. Yeah. But you you just can't you can't base an entire ideology on a generalization. It doesn't work. No. No. It, it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. And and one of the reasons why you can't or you shouldn't is that you, if you start saying all women are bad or all men are useless or whatever, what you're saying is I don't intend to use my analytic ability right. to decide whether this is a good person or not right. and to just go with the kind yeah. of idea that they're yeah. a certain thing. And um it's less tiring it's quite relaxing to have a set of pathetically um hard hardly embedded stereotypes um but i also think that the trouble with it is 
uh, the other thing, another aspect of it is, if you assume that all men are useless, you must be quite incurious about men because lots of men are different. So wouldn't you want right. to find out if this one is useless? Yeah. Right. It's, it's almost a statement of intent not to get to know anybody. Yeah. Or not to yeah. be influenced by anyone or, or a limitation of your experience of the world. So say, you know, a really cool action film comes out, but if it's written by a woman. Yeah. Do you then just miss it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And not have that experience. I mean, it's, what that just brought me in mind of was the um, the Ben Shapiro meltdown over the Barbie film. Oh, I don't know. He, he's, he's melted. Oh, he published out some 43-minute video or something, absolutely trashing it because it's against the patriarchy and saying it's woke propaganda. And look, I don't agree with a lot of what Ben Shapiro says, but he's a clever guy. So I think clearly he's doing that because it's going to get him a lot a million of traffic. Clicks. And so much traffic, and he's probably laughing at his own video. So, yeah. like me getting irate about it means it's worked. Yeah, it's worked. But I do also feel, you know, he a lot of then the followers and people coming out in the comments that are agreeing with him. It's like you know, if you get grown men bitching about a view of the patriarchy that's been put forward in a in a movie about a plastic, plastic doll. Doll. Yeah. So if you're threatened by that, that's yeah. not Barbie's problem. No, no, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That is a you issue. No, and I think, who would have not expected, I mean, I don't know what Ben Shapiro said, but I will listen to it now. Obviously, Do you listen clip. to it. Here's another it clip. Is funny. Um, another click for Ben. Um, yeah, yeah, go on, Ben. But um, <laughs> I think, who would have thought that a, re, a, a, a movie about Barbie would not be remade with a feminist slant? Because because otherwise the intent of the, the toy was feminist. Yeah, yeah, the, the, you know the, the the but the the shape of her wasn't. But yeah, you know. but the but the story around Barbie and I mean I'm afraid I was one of those no Barbie mothers. Um, and uh, quite in, quite interestingly, Gwen got given I know Henrietta got given one for her sixth birthday, and then a friend of mine realised that this was a because she was so excited to get this Barbie right. And my friend who'd given this to her because a little boy came to the party and, and she said, oh, my God, this is her first Barbie, isn't it? And I said, yes. And she said, I think you've deliberately not bought her a Barbie and now I have. And I said, said yes. yes, yeah. And she said, I'm so sorry. I didn't think of it like that. And I said, look, I don't care. I'm not that. I'm not that far. We're not militant here. Yeah. But, but so so Henrietta was playing with us. And um uh, she said, I like this. What is it? And I said, well, it's it's a doll. Well, a human, she said. So I said, yes. And she used to call this friend of mine Auntie Ol because uh, this is what the friend liked. So she said, I know your legs aren't like this under your clothes. Are Auntie Oles? And I said, no. Hmm. So she said, so if this is a human doll and you and Auntie Ol are both human, why doesn't the doll look like you? Right. And I said, because it's not supposed to be, you know, middle-aged mothers of five-year-old children in Tangaparanian doll. That would have a, a very... The yeah, a very doll, different look. Based on me and Auntie Ol would have a, a relatively uh, small um, 
uh, sale, actually. Um, and she she was frankly baffled by it. She was she remained intrigued by it, and she like put clothes on it and things like that. But um, she found it she found it interestingly. She she had a builder bear, and she loved the builder bear having loads of costumes to be a nurse or, or whatever. But because she wasn't she. Barbie was slightly eerie to her because it was in a builder bear is obviously not a human being, it's a bear. So it yeah. can look however you want. Yeah, so it can look however you want. But Barbie has got high heeled feet. Yeah. And she said, she, We went to the beach not long afterwards and she did have a look at all the mum's feet when we went paddling. And she said, "Nobody with high. There's nobody with high heel feet. It is just Barbie." Yeah. Uh, so she. So although it was wrong to say she didn't enjoy it, that's not true. But she she found it faintly unsettling. Uh, yeah. Amusing. Yeah. No. So that's quite amusing, and I think it also it gives us an idea into how children perceive things versus how we do. Because of course, as adults, you've got all sorts of connotations around Barbie because we've now got the power to analyze it and think, oh, maybe that's not very savory. But a yeah. child's just not thinking on that level. Yeah. No, they're not. They're not. I was. I. I had a memory broken by everyone talking about their teenage dolls because of the Barbie movie. Someone put on Twitter or X, as we should now call it, um, whatever that's about. Um, Oh, really? A picture of, yeah, there's been a rebrand. It's now called X, not Twitter. Um, oh, as if it'll always be Twitter. Exactly. Um, yeah, but like there was a picture of a doll called Tressie. And the packaging, there was a picture of the doll in the packaging. So someone, you know, potentially has got some money there. But it said, Tressie, her hair really grows. And I remember, and what it was, was at the back of the back. You could pull it out, right? You could pull it out, yeah. But I was a bit of a literalist. So I cut it all off with scissors. And it didn't grow. And it didn't grow. And I felt, I felt really, I said to my mother, you know, is this, is this legal? Because her yeah. hair doesn't grow. Yeah. And I then they should it. be made clear, you've got like three haircuts in this before there's no more hair. Yeah. And, and, and there's only a question that you wind it out and then you wind it back. So she right. can bob one day and long hair the next if she wants. Yeah. Yeah. But, but don't give just, her a Britney because it's never gonna. No, and and it was the word her hair really grows at Barbie, because her hair appears to grow due to a mechanism placed in the back. Yeah, I, I, is this a source of your corporate distrust, Muff? <laughs> it probably was. It, yeah, I'm here. I'm the age of five, and I'm I'm doing an advertising yeah. standards claim. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I want some legal wording on this because my trusty doll is not behaving in the way that was promised on the box. Yes. And but I also did have a Cindy and her boyfriend, who was gloriously named Paul. I mean, you know, Barbie and Ken are unromantic enough, but Cindy and Paul, Cindy and Paul, that's a that that Cindy and Paul, that's an Essex love story right there, isn't it? Yeah, and 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 I just wonder where they are now because they were obviously teenagers when I was a child. So yeah, they're, right. they're retired now. They Where'd are. You, I think they. Who do they vote for? Oh, they'll be conservative. You've got yeah, to be by the time you get to that age. They would be conservative. Yeah. But I think they also may have voted for Tony Blair because I think they may have thought that he was going to sort some stuff out. Yeah, that was a lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but I think that Paul and Cindy might have fallen for it. I think they could have been the was it Essex Man they were trying to attract to Well a lot of people a lot of people did fall for it to be fair. And and you know, Tony Blair technically didn't lie because what he sorted out were the profits for his arms company. Yeah. And those ended up being very, very good. So yes. really it's our fault for not asking him to specify. Now, talk about when people tell stories. He tells a story of running away to, uh, he had a band and he they wanted to tour in Germany and he right. stowed away on a plane to Germany, right? right? Yeah, criminal even then, see? The criminal mastermind tendencies were there. But um, he was at a school near Newcastle was he at Fetters College possibly and he travelled according to this story of his he hitchhiked to Newcastle Airport and he stowed away on a plane now play direct flights from Newcastle to Germany did not start until after he'd left university let alone being at Fetters College right and so getting back to the business about stories I don't mind and I'm guilty of occasionally a bit of exaggeration in the story sure Particularly it, for comic effect, it's just... Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. But when someone's telling you some rubbish... Yeah. ...that never really happened... Yeah. They can say, um, look, so my mother and the Queen Mother crashed into each other in a country lane and they both had a gym. That's a bare boom bones of a story, yeah? And if I tell the story, I quite often then say the Queen Mother said to my mother, actually... Um, We'll call it knock for knock because let's none of us say anything about this because it might yeah, be yeah. worse for me than it was for you. And I don't really know what the details of that conversation were, but I do tell them to round out the anecdote. But the fact is my mother did smash into someone in the country lane and it did turn out to be the Queen Mother, yeah? And they right. had both had a gym, yeah? So, so this is a true story that I will... You've moved around some bits. I've moved around some bits, or, or or I feel I feel particularly with my playwriting hat on that I need to give some dialogue to people in this. Well, step. I also I think that I think it's again the context of who a person is that me, that makes you feel that it matters or not that it's a lie. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, there, there was a guy in Bear said his name was John. We all called him John the Tramp. Um, you can imagine why. Hmm. He smelt like the bottom of a beer can. He wasn't in a good way. He died a couple of years ago. And there's his bench is now, it's called John's Bench, which is lovely. And he used to tell the most outlandish stories. I mean, if a quarter of it was true, mm. I'll, I'll eat my hat. But yeah. he was a lovely man and they were yeah. great stories. So who yeah. cares? And you walk past, you go, hello, you're going to come and have a fag with me. And of course, he wouldn't take one of those cigarettes because God knows where those fingers have been. Yeah. But you'd sit with John and listen to some stories for an hour yeah. and it'd be great entertainment. Yes. I mind about Tony Blair telling that story because he's yeah. a war criminal. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So that's, I think, where my line is. You know, Johnson, yeah. well, I think he was a nice guy. He was always pleasant to me. He certainly wasn't a war criminal. No. So if he tells me some stories, that's fine. If Tony Blair, who is a war criminal and who has profited off of the misery and death of millions, tells yeah. me a story, I want to tell him to get fucked, actually. Mm. Mm. You know? Yeah. And so, therefore, if you if you want to tell stories about your mum and the Queen Mum, go for it. Unless you are a war criminal, tell me now. Yeah, no. But yeah, no, that's a, it is a, it is a very good point, and it is also true that my experience has been some of the most unlikely stories that people tell you turn out to be verifiable, and right. that's that's great. I love that. 
Because... And also, if you've enjoyed the story, does it matter? I yeah, was thinking about what's point. the harm? What's the harm? You know, it's one thing if they're telling a tale and then there might be a negative aspect for somebody down yeah. the line and it wasn't true. Yeah. Fine. But if it's, again, hijinks about the penguin with the katana in first class. Yeah. Tell me yeah. a yarn. Entertain yeah. me. Because Actually, the thing is, that's what authors do, right? They write yeah. down lies and we buy them. True. It's, true. Just, it's all about the context. But I would say, I would say, you tell stories which are false to point out things you think are true correct that's i must tell you though your story about the, the man coming in with the penguin i got i've got a friend who when we were in our late teens and um, she was a very i admired the way she dressed she was very eccentric and um dressed in a i thought a brilliant way and she had had made for her knee-length doc martins brilliant a thing which I'd never seen before. And that's, I think, that's a look right there. Yeah. I that think must have taken half an hour to put on. They did. They were yeah. they were either very bright yellow, sort of canary yellow, or very bright blue. Um, and she also smoked a pipe. Wow. Right. You love her already, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, we went on a, a road trip with some friends up from, from, from South Wales to, to, to St Albans. And um, we stopped as, because there were a gang, three cars, loads of people. And so we stopped at almost every service to have a little chat and a cup of tea and carry on. And at every service station, we saw a monk. Yeah. And this friend of mine couldn't get over the fact that there were monks in all the service stations. And she was sitting there in her knee-length blue, bright blue Doc Martins, uh, smoking a pipe, saying, don't they worry going about dressed like that? Right. And I was thinking, I bet you these guys are going to get back to the refectory tonight and see, and uh, how was your journey, Brother Cuthbert? Well, there was this girl in all services with knee-length blue Doc Martins smoking a pipe. pipe. Doesn't she worry going about dressed like that? (laughs) Yeah, which I, I yeah. don't know. There's something about that story. It's, it's about, you know, see ourselves as others see us. Yes. You know, but it's also about where, you know, wear what you want, do what you want, really, as long as you're not damaging anyone. If, if exactly. that's like a habit or a pair of knee-length TMs, you knock yourself out. Mom, we're nearly two hours. We'd better go. It's been We'd better go. But it's, it's been idea. lovely to talk to you again. Um, once again, thank you for listening. If you could like and share the podcast, that would really help. Or even better, leave us a review because that really helps to bolster us up in the ratings. And if you'd like to get in touch, it's millingtheair at gmail.com. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.